Let's have a let's have a prayer and we will begin. Our Father, we are grateful that uh, we're able to be here today. For those traveling, we do pray for safety and a good time with uh, the people they're visiting, family for the most part, this coming week. Father, we continue to pray for the folks that were affected by the tornadoes in the south last week. A lot of needs, a lot of grieving. Pray for people around them to help. Pray that uh, those of us who are able will be able to uh, send money to um, churches in the area. Maybe the church here can send money if we ask them to. But they have a lot of needs, emotional needs and spiritual needs, and uh, so we lift them up and pray for them. And it's just a reminder to us, Father, of how temporary everything here is. And we uh, we depend on you completely. So we give thanks to you for Jesus. Thank you for the story for this time of the year when more people are uh, thinking a little bit more about the change of history through him. Thank you for your grace and your gift to us. I ask your blessings today as we study. Pray for Skip in the next hour as he brings your word and pray for strength to him and energy and your blessings to him. And we thank you for Jesus and pray in his name. Amen. Okay, so... Good morning. Um, okay. Uh, we're in John. Uh, we finished in verse 29, chapter 1 of verse 29 last week. Uh, next Sunday, class does not meet, I have been told. So next Sunday, we do not meet, correct? Ted, is that right? And is there another time in January where classes do not meet? Toward the end of January? Okay, so so then the next time we plan to meet in here, I guess, would be January the 2nd. I think that's a Sunday. So, uh, FYI there. Uh, and maybe more information on, the, on next Sunday later as we go today, I'm, I'm not sure, Ted. What is what is our plan for next Sunday? Do we just meet at the time for worship? Okay, so just no classes in the first hour. Okay, so John chapter one. Um, let me start. Um, let me start in verse thirty-one. Well, let me start in 29. Let me read 29 through 34. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Of course, real quickly, as we said last week, that the Jews got that completely. Lambs were for sacrifice. They were killed. They were sacrifices for sin. 
that they didn't commit. Uh, no lamb has sinned. Uh, when John turns around and Jesus is walking up, it's kind of a startling statement. Here comes a human, a man, and he says, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so it's very obvious to those that were listening there around him, he's talking about a human sacrifice here. Uh, pretty, pretty startling stuff. Also, another thing that they understood uh, back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, the scripture says that God would not take any sacrifice that had a blemish. It would be an abomination. So if there was some sort of defect with the lamb, it was no good as a sacrifice. And so the communication to the folks hearing that was that this man would have no blemishes. He would have no faults. No problems, no mistakes, nothing about him that could be called a blemish. And so that's pretty, um, that's a pretty amazing statement since every human stumbles around and we have all have our messes. Uh, but John said, here comes one, a person who has no blemishes. And so that's a, a major statement right there. So let me just go. Were the Pharisees there? I, I don't know. The Pharisees did not accept John's baptism and I don't know how much they hung around to see what he would be saying and teaching. Um, more on that as we go and we get to Nicodemus in a couple of weeks or so, but um, how closely did they monitor John? They're going to hear plenty about this sacrifice to be, but uh, I don't know. As far as I know, we're not told if any were around here hearing this. And so then verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes one who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. Okay, now they're cousins. So he did know him, but in the sense that he's speaking about here, I didn't know who he was. I didn't know really for sure until God reveals this to John that he's the Messiah. So he said, I, I didn't know who he was is what he's saying. Uh, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven and like a dove and it remained on him. If we read the passage, the account that Matthew writes, the, uh, he, he was told that Jesus would be revealed when the dove came from heaven and remained on, the Messiah would be re revealed as he was baptizing. The spirit, in some sort of fashion, looking like a dove, would come and remain on him. Uh, and then in the Matthew's account, there's a voice that says, this is my beloved son. Uh, so... So John saw, he had the instructions to wait for the sign. He saw the sign, he heard the voice, he knew it was the Messiah. So he says, I bear witness uh, of who he is. Verse 32, I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And so John says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Uh, 
an interesting thing here. And let's just take a minute. I think it's worth us noting. If you'll turn back to Luke chapter 7. And then we'll come back to John. But Luke chapter 7. There's the account when John, not the writer of the Gospel of John, but John the Baptist, when John is arrested. Now this is after he has seen the Spirit come and remain on Jesus and after he's heard the voice. And in uh, Luke chapter 7, let's start in verse 18. The disciples, uh, Jesus is doing all kinds of miracles and so forth. In verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. Now, at this time, John's in jail, if we're reading another account. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, he said, ask him this, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Uh, Think about that. God has given John a sign already. And John has heard the voice saying, this is my son already. A few weeks go by, John is preaching and tells Herod, you've got your brother's wife and that's immoral and that's wrong, it's a sin. And they have him arrested and thrown into jail. And John's looking at capital capital punishment here he's probably knows he's probably going to die and so he calls a couple of his disciples and says now go back and and double check with Jesus and ask are, are you really the one isn't it interesting how weak the flesh is He heard a voice, this is my son, I'm going to show you the one who is the Messiah. The Spirit's going to come down on him and remain on him. And then the voice, this is my son. And still with that, he says, okay, let me double check. Let's let's double check. Peter, you know, Peter was with Jesus, for three years, he saw hundreds upon hundreds of miracles. And the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus says, all of you disciples, you're going to be offended in me. I'm going to be arrested and I'm going to be killed. And you're all going to leave. And Peter says, Lord, I'm not. If they all go, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna leave you. I'll I'll stay with you to the death. Jesus says, Peter, you're gonna deny me three times in just, just a few hours. Peter is the same as John, is the same as us, in that the flesh is weak. A lot of things uh, are able to damage our faith. Uh, we, and when I say damage, sometimes our faith is damaged, like 
when we're just distracted and drawn away to something else. Uh, other things come into competition, and we're just not as faithful as we were once. We get slack. We used to go to Bible class every Sunday. We used to be in a Bible study in the middle of the week, maybe Wednesday, something. And time goes by, and we get distracted, and we get into another, a different habit, a different schedule, and all of a sudden, eh. I was talking to one of our members here. All of you know this person. This was several months ago, last year, back, well, earlier. It was about nine months ago. I guess it was this year. He said to me, he said, you know, I've been in church all my life, all the time in church. And he said, you know what amazed me? Once COVID hit and we shut down services, I was amazed at how quickly it didn't bother me anymore to not go, to stay home. I was amazed at myself at how quickly I got used to that, and, and I was okay with it. And I used to wouldn't be interested, uh, be, I would be bothered tremendously by that. It's human nature. You and I, we need to pay careful, 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 careful attention to ourselves. Your walk with Jesus, or my walk with Jesus, has to be intentional, and that's intentional every day. And that is self-discipline and making a decision every day of what my priorities today are going to be. And that's just how it's going to be. We get discouraged by different things. Maybe it's illness. That wasn't me, was it? What in the world was that? Yeah. That was a thought. I had a thought, but I'm not going to tell you what it was. What in the world was that? Um, I was going to say something very eloquent, but uh, we'll have to go on. I don't know what it was. A couple of verses I jotted down. Proverbs chapter 4, guard your hearts with all diligence. Guard your hearts with all diligence. Why did God put that in there for us? I'm too busy. I'm too busy for that, you know. I, uh, we, I'm, I'm too bu- That becomes a real uh, easy excuse for us. I'm, I'm so busy. You're, you're so busy? When you die, how busy are you going to be? Is what you're being busy about going to matter when you're dead? waiting on the return, waiting for Jesus to come back, waiting for the resurrection? Is what we were busy about, is it really going to matter? Is Jesus going to be asking us about that job thing we were doing, about that project, 
about that other thing, about that extra rest we were getting, whatever it is that we're busy doing? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Why is it that, that God, that God, not, not another human, but the creator, has so much trouble getting some time from us? Why is that? And we all have to deal with that now. We all. We all have to struggle with it. I'm talking to us. You know, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6 that we're, our struggle, and this is a familiar verse, we know this verse, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against powers of spiritual darkness. A lot of versions render the, the translation there cosmic powers. Powerful forces of darkness that are out to distract our thinking, to discourage our thinking, to kill us by causing us to change our priorities over things that are not going to get us out of the grave, over things that do not have the power of resurrection. My goodness. Okay. So let's move on. Um, there's a lot to be said on that, but we'll move on. <clears throat> the next day, verse 35, John 1:35. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked and, at Jesus and said it again. Behold, the Lamb of God says it again. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Drop down to verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Verse 43. Uh, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida and the, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the one that Moses wrote about. So do we see a pattern here? John pointed his disciples to Jesus and they followed him. And Andrew finds Peter and says, I've found the Messiah, come with me, follow Jesus. And uh, Philip finds Nathaniel and says, we found the Messiah, come with me. Do you think, uh, I see a pattern here. Uh, Mike, I'm going to tell a story on you. If you haven't met Mike Lopez, meet him today. He's a great guy. And he's discovering the Bible. And he said to me the other day we were talking and he's been reading Matthew. You finished it? So he's, finished, he's read through Matthew. And he says to me the other day, he said, you know, I'm reading this. I'm getting the idea that we're supposed to be telling other people about Jesus. Yes. 
you have read well. Church, how you doing? How we doing? Co-workers, family, friends, neighbors. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and some of you that have been in a class of mine before have been to this passage with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, it is, as I've said before, it, it sort of showed up in my Bible a few years ago, not too long ago. Funny how passages show up sometimes. Second Corinthians 4, read with me in verse 13. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. He says there, there's a logic here. I believe, therefore I speak. Do you believe? Do you believe? I'm not asking us to all become preachers but probably all of us talk at some level. Give me a burger with fries. Good morning. Most of us speak. Paul says, I believe, therefore I speak. Well, I'm just, up, oh, whoop, whoop. No, no, yeah, buts. Uh, there are different ways we can speak as a friend. And sometimes you can just say, you know what? I'm not coming to church with me. That's all you got to say. You got a church home? Something, somehow or another, people around you, they need to know something about your faith at some level. My friend Robertson has said many times, he, one of his statements is, what's the word on you? What, what are you known for? We're all known for something. It is, so DJ, in case you didn't hear that, it's not just speak, not just verbal, but it's how we live, how we conduct our business, how we conduct ourselves. That's absolutely true. Now, let me just say, don't be content with just living a good life and if necessary, speak. No. No. Live a good life and speak. That's just really basic for a believer. Don't be content on just living a good example. That's, that's, that's understood. That's a given for a believer, but don't stop there. People should know what you stand for by hearing it as well. What I say is empty if my life, like DJ say, if my life doesn't support it, it's empty. But if my life supports it, what I say is powerful. God wants us to speak as well as live 
too easy to get content and just say, well, I'm just going to live a good life and what they do is their business. No, that's not what we're here for. That is not our purpose. Let's read the next verse in that. So I believe, so I, so we also speak. And, and let me just say before we leave this, and DJ, is, that is exactly right, but he is talking here about verbal. This is the word for, for what we comes out of our mouths. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's why we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. And Paul says, bring us with you into his presence. We are on a cosmic trip and we're here just a little while. And we have an appointment. It's a great appointment. And it is a privilege to be a child, a son or daughter of the Lord God Almighty that we live among other humans that we can say something to them to draw them toward him. Why? Because we have a resurrection ahead of us where he will raise us and present us with you in his presence. That's why the church spread all over the place in the first century. Resurrection. They had seen Jesus raised and they said, I'm with him. You can kill me, I'll be raised. That is our future. Raised to be presented with you in his presence. We have something to speak about. Yes? And the church said, silence. It's early. (laughs) So Jesus says, Nathaniel, in verse 47, he said, here's a guy, and here's an Israelite in whom is no deceit. I think this may have been a little tongue-in-cheek here from Jesus about now, Nathaniel was an honest guy, and some versions say no guile, some versions say no deceit. The Jews have been known since Jacob for being dishonest and deceitful, lying and cheating. That's been one of their trademarks. They'll, they'll, they'll short sheet you out of your money. They'll, look, Jacob went through it firsthand. He got Esau's birthright. Laban cheated him out of his wife to start with. I mean, it just goes on and on. He turned around and cheated Laban over some of his livestock. And as the Jews had this reputation, we're going to see later in in, uh, chapter 2 how the Jews were cheating people out of their money going to worship. So Jesus looks at Nathanael and said, well, here's an Israelite with no deceit. Imagine that. That's a rarity. Maybe that wasn't it, but... I think maybe it, maybe it was in there. So Nathaniel comes up. Jesus said, uh, Nathaniel, I saw you standing under the tree over there, under that fig tree. And Nathaniel, he said, hmm, I wasn't anywhere around you when I was under the fig tree. And Nathaniel makes his comment in verse 59, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So that was enough for Nathaniel to say, wow, 
You saw me over on the other side of town under that fig tree. How'd you know that? So he said, you're the son of God. And the king of Israel, he is saying, you are the Messiah that Moses and all the prophets talked about. You're the one. And he said, king of Israel, and again, the, the Jews were looking for David's kingdom to be restored. They're looking for a physical power on the earth. And that's going to throw them off over and over and over. Look, uh, just a couple of passages real quick. Uh, let's look in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 9. And you're familiar with this passage for the most part. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's talking about this one who is going to come when this Messiah comes. And here's some characteristics of him. And he says in verse 7, of the increase, Isaiah talking, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forever. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He says this kingdom of the Messiah will have no end. The Jews read that and they say, boy, we are going to be better than Russia and China and the U.S. put together forever. We're going to have one like King David that's going to rule over the whole deal. That's what they're thinking. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Let's flip to Daniel real quick. And the Jews reading this prophecy from about 700 B.C. or so, they didn't know what all um, was involved in it. Daniel chapter 2. But the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Of these, he said, I don't know what this means. This big image is going to come, a gold head and all this business. And as it goes down to the feet, it changes to iron mixed with clay. And there's four major kingdoms. Well, they didn't, when, the, when they read that since the time it was written, they didn't know exactly what all that meant. But one thing they did know is this in uh, chapter 2 and verse 44, what is said when the Messiah comes, verse 44, in the days of those last kings of iron and clay, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. So they're looking for their forever kingdom. That's what they're looking for. And that's what Nathaniel's referring to when he talks about Jesus being you're the son of God and the king of Israel. We're going to have a forever kingdom. He didn't understand at that time that Jesus, that God's plan is a spiritual, eternal, spiritual kingdom, not an earthly, damaged, earthly, imperfect, faulty kingdom. No kingdom is without, on earth is without blemish and fault and mess and intrigue and dece deception and all that stuff stuff there's a better kingdom they didn't understand it was going to be spiritual that's what we're in on here in the church a spiritual kingdom that will last forever because the king lasts forever Jesus said and we'll get to it later in John 18 he said my kingdom is not earthly my kingdom is not earthly it's spiritual John 18 36 it's not earthly. Um, okay, so let's go to chapter 2. Okay. So Jesus goes to this wedding feast in Cana. 
This is going to be his first miracle. Uh, Mary's there, the scripture tells us. And uh, by the way, we'll, we'll read in John 21 later, Nathaniel is also, uh, who's, one of, who's with Jesus, is also from Cana. That's his hometown. So why was Jesus at the wedding feast? Was it Mary's invitation? Was it Nathaniel's invitation? Well, I don't know. We don't know. But he was there. And something to know about that is he was there and he was, he was mixing with people. He was socializing with people. He was being with people. Ah, that's a great point, isn't it? When we come together on Sunday morning, we come together to not only worship the Lord, but to be with each other and to encourage each other in our walk. What good will it be to Katie for me just to walk by her and not say a word to her? Does that benefit her at all? Yeah, I act like I don't know her name. I don't say a word of encouragement to her. I just assume she's doing fine. And then there's this person over here. I haven't ever met her. I'm not going to speak to her. Somebody else will. I know. Oh, there's somebody I know over there. Let me go talk to them. How are you? Good to see you. And walk by 200 other people. Uh, it really, it really bugs me. Can you tell? Uh, I think it's a holy bug. I think God is telling us, you should love each other and you should show it. Well, I'm quiet. Well, that's okay. That's okay to be quiet. You can say hi. I'm quiet. And then go on about your business. What's your name? Hey, I'm Gary. I'm Mike. Mike, hey, good to see you. Good to see you. Man, you been here long? Well, we're glad to have you. Yeah. I see some folks on the back row I haven't met. I think I met you guys a couple of weeks ago, but I don't remember your name, so I got work to do. And I should do it. And if you haven't met Mike or anyone else in here, you need to get busy. What are you waiting on? Just maybe he'll come back. Maybe enough people will speak to him that he'll just come back, maybe. But I'm not going to. Somebody else could do that. I'm just saying, we ought to think about that. God's people should be known as welcoming friendly, optimistic, encouraging people. Yes? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we should. I'm not worried about our comfort zone. Just just speak. You don't have to engage in an extended conversation, but we can all speak. Shouldn't we do that? Really? Shouldn't we? So Jesus is there interacting and speaking to people. He turns this water to wine. First miracle. Water is two atoms of hydrogen and one atom of oxygen. Very, it's an, 
an incredibly mysterious, simple compound with amazing properties, H2O. Wine has over 800 compounds in it. When Jesus changed the water to wine, he is demonstrating more continued creative power. One compound, very simple, three atoms, to a complex liquid with over 800 compounds in it. Water to wine. Power over the physical universe that he created, he, and he continues to create. Uh, Deuteronomy tells us that Jesus was like a guy uh, after the type of Moses. And in Deuteronomy 18, the scripture tells us a prophet will, and they asked John, as we talked about last week, are you the prophet? Uh, Deuteronomy, Moses had written about a prophet like him would come, was to come in the future, a prophet like him, a lawgiver like him. He gave a law based on works. Jesus gave a law based on faith and grace. But a covenant giver, the Old Testament, a New Testament. Um, Moses' first sign was turning water into blood in Egypt in front of Pharaoh. A sign of death. Jesus' first sign was turning water into wine a sign of joy at a wedding feast. God improves everything he's involved with. God always makes it better. Now, standing up for God may sometimes bring persecution, but the result will be better when it's all said and done. God's purposes are always better than earthly purposes. He always works it to his purpose, which is always better. And so that's what Jesus does there. This is where I turn the page and see where I'm at. Okay. So he turned the water to wine. He made it better. Let's go on here. Uh, we've got about mm, six minutes. So cleansing the temple. So let's see, verse 13, 213. And the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and the temple, and he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. So he made a whip of cords and drove them out. You know, the Jews, um, so they had temple worship. Uh, it was a form of worship. It was far from in spirit and truth. Uh, they had these, uh, law, these uh, regulations where when people from all over came to the temple and they couldn't bring their own animals to sacrifice. They had to use temple animals which were sold to the people at a nice markup. And when they were going to buy the temple animals for their sacrifices, they couldn't use their foreign currency. They had to go over here to the money changers table and say, I've got this in my currency and they had to change it into temple currency to pay the high price for the temple animals. Nice markup on, by the money changers, nice profit for them uh, at high exchange rates, and then a nice markup for the, they had it coming in both ways. A form of religion, but empty. Empty. 
I'll just make this quick comment. I am glad, I'm glad uh, on Christmas and Easter, those are the most two attended religious services in our country. You know where I'm going. The most attended services. People say, oh, it's, it's Christmas. Uh, this is when Jesus was born. Let's go, let's go to have Christmas Eve service or something. Or at Easter. Uh, well, we don't know what really that's about, but we dress up and we go. I've been in churches before where it's Easter Sunday and not a word is said about the resurrection of Jesus, which is what it's about. But then after that service is over, okay, I'm going on with my life. I'll see you next Christmas. I'll be back. Going about our busy lives. It's like the temple deal. It's a form of religion. It is empty. It's empty. If all I can do is manage to come read God's word, take communion, show the people around me that I'm a believer, if I can only manage to do that once or twice a year, and judging is not my part, I'm just, I'm just telling you though, and you, you know this, that's empty religion. It's just empty. Is going to, to church once or twice a year going to change your life for good? Is that going to make you a more powerful witness for Jesus? No. No. Uh, but I hope that when they come, that they'll be encouraged and maybe thinking about coming more. I'm glad they come the once or two times. I wish they would make it a habit. God deserves to be a priority, doesn't he? God deserves to be a priority, I think. In our busy lives, can't we find a place for God? Because we'll, we'll meet him one day. <laughs> uh, two minutes, so let me see. Okay, this, this in closing here... Uh, We'll plan to, in two weeks, we plan to pick up in chapter three. But Jesus drove them out. He says, you're making my father's house, you're making it a mockery. It's not to be a, mar a market a place of money making. So he drives them out. He says, my father's house. He's taking some ownership. And the Pharisees pick up on this and they say, your father's house, can you show us a sign? And he's been doing signs already in between the, the wedding and, and this, but they're always asking for a sign. And he does not indulge them by saying, yeah, here's a sign. No. He said, I'll give you a sign. Destroy the temple, and in three days I'll build it back. They said, huh. you are crazy. And John says, they did not know that he was talking about his resurrection, his own body, Verse 21, but he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he said this and believed. The disciples didn't get it until the re resurrection. Even though he told them multiple times, I'm going to die and be raised. And you know, Peter said, Lord, you're not, you're, you're not going to die. You're the Messiah. You're not going to die. You're going to rule forever. He said, 
Peter, you're, you're thinking about earthly things. You're thinking earthly. And so then after he was raised, the scripture says they understood. This business that we're into here, this journey that we're on, is about resurrection through Jesus Christ. Our resurrection, our bodily resurrection. Last passage I'm going to read and we'll shut it down. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And just listen to this. Chapter 15, verse 42. I told you earlier about uh, how God makes things better when he's involved. So 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So it's written, the resurrection of the dead, what is sown, what is buried, perishable will be raised imperishable. What is buried in dishonor will be raised in glory. What is sown in weakness will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. Bodily resurrection, glorified bodily resurrection like Jesus. Amen. See ya. God bless. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.